Today, we are taking a pause on our study through Ephesians um, just for a couple of weeks, two weeks, and we'll get back into that. Um, this week, we're going to do something a little different because we're going to do some communion uh, together. So uh, this is a different thing. Um, yeah, I didn't ask anybody if that was okay. I just sort of did it. So here's what it is. All right. So um, I had read this article uh, called What Causes Crime? written by Charles Colson and Ann Morse in Christianity Today magazine, which said this, to solve the problem of crime, we first have to address the root cause, human sin. Though many sociologists of the 19th and early 20th centuries attribute crime to environmental factors like poverty, uh, an inadequate uh, criminal justice system, racism, landmark studies in the last 30 years have shown that crime is really about wrong moral decisions. For example, in their 17-year-long study, the criminal personality psychologists Stanton Samenow and Samuel Yokelson found that crime in every case was the product of deliberation and gave the antidote of conversation to a whole new lifestyle. And in their definitive study, Crime and Human Nature, Harvard's social scientists James Q. Wilson and Richard Herrenstein found that crime is caused by a lack of moral teaching during the morally formative years. This was illustrated in a 2008 USA Today feature about three brothers, James Frank and Sonny Caston each of whom is serving a life sentence in Louisiana's Angola prison. Their father idolized the outlaw Jesse James so much that he named two sons after the James brothers. While names are not destiny, in this case, family breakdown, uh, their mother left when Frank was eight, and a childhood characterized by physical abuse and neglect took their toll. By the time they were in their early 20s, all three brothers were serving life sentences for murder. While the Castings are an extreme case, their story of crime running in families is not unusual. According to one study, 37% of juveniles, when first arrested for a serious crime, reported a parent or sibling in prison. And young men without father figures are twice as likely to be incarcerated as those who have father figures. Not only because they lack a, a male role model, but also because single moms have to work and have little time to parent their sons. Notice the story said in order to address the problem of crime, you have to address the root cause, which they identified as human sin. And as most Christians will agree, sin is the root cause of not only crime, but all issues related to human immorality. One source stated, the root cause is the highest level cause that sets in motion the entire cause and effect reaction that ultimately leads to every problem. And unfortunately, we have all, we all have this same root problem. Notice Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Today, we're going to examine what sin is according to the Bible. 
we'll observe some of the consequences of sin and identify the solution to sin and some practical application for our lives. First, what is sin? One source stated that sins are the actions by which humans rebel against God. The actions by which humans rebel against God. Misses purpose for their life and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. Rebellion against God is how sin is generally understood. And just to be clear, the Bible does not give an exact definition of sin, but rather gives examples of sin and how the attitude of the sinner is that of rebellion. The simplest way to define rebellion is the action of resisting authority. It's the action of resisting authority. And as we read in Romans 3, everyone is guilty of sin or resisting the authority of God, which all started with Adam and Eve in the garden when they rebelled against God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they did. And sin or rebellion has plagued humankind ever since. Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God was very clear about this tree. He said, you shall not, meaning the action of eating of this tree is prohibited. It's banned. It's illegal. It's restricted. It's barred. Very clear, you shall not. Then Satan, the deceiver, the snake, comes in and introduces doubt to Eve. Did God really say that? And then that doubt introduced a selfish desire. Notice Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable, notice desirable, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Doubt led to selfish desire, which led to Eve's rebellion, which then spread to her husband. Then the cycle started to repeat itself. God called out to Adam, and Adam, having rebelled against God, violated God's command, sinned against God, was now hiding from God. He was filled with selfish desire. So he clothed himself because he now felt naked. He was not, no longer satisfied with God's design. Ultimately, he was trying to change what God had created and what God had called good into something else. And his desire to protect himself led him to blame his wife for the rebellion. Again, changing God's plan of him being the leader, him being the one responsible, into him blaming others and not taking responsibility for his own actions, which again is rebellion against God's good design or sinfulness. Regardless of what someone might think about sin or about their own involvement in sinful living, it's clear that humanity has followed this example of rebellion ever since. Let's look at some examples 
Notice Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord, our God, as he has commanded us. Notice again, God gives people some commands. In this case, it is to observe all of these statutes. Statutes are essentially written laws. Follow these laws throughout your entire life and you will be righteous. And if you do not, then you are being sinful. Later... In Deuteronomy 31, we read that Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book. And he says to the Levites in Deuteronomy 31, 27, For I know your rebellion and your stiff necks. Stiff neck is essentially stubbornness. If today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? The Old Testament people continued to violate God's laws and his covenant and continuously rebelled against him. In the New Testament, Jesus taught that sin was a condition of the heart. One source said that he, meaning Jesus, traced sin directly to inner motives, stating that the sinful thought leading to the overt act is the real sin. The outward deed is actually the fruit of sin. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice Jesus compares anger to murder because anger or the condition of your heart is where the rebellion starts. Just like Eve, just like the Israelites, just like everyone. One of the misnomers about sin is that it is simply about acting right or just doing the right stuff. But that's not entirely right. Eve's doing wrong was the result of her sinful thoughts. She doubted God in her heart the sin, and then acted it out. The same is true of all sin. It starts in the heart. Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So this sinfulness started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, something like 4004 BC, moved through the Old Testament age, through the New Testament age, and now, over 6,000 years later, we have all been participants in the resistance and rebellion against God and his authority. Here's some examples comparing biblical views with world views. Biblical view one, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Worldview. 
Transgender is a word that describes a person whose gender identity is different from the sex they were assigned at birth. God says male and female, but the sinful world says no, no God, it's something else. We are what we desire, not what you say is good. Therefore, rebellion against God. Example two, biblical view, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not, remember shall not, remember is prohibited, banned, illegal, restricted, barred. You shall not murder. Murder is the killing of one human being by another. Worldview. Abortion is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. The killing of one human being by another. God says this is prohibited, and the sinful world says, no, no God, murdering trees is wrong, but this is my body, and if I desire to abort this little burden, then it is my choice, not yours. Therefore, rebellion against God. And in my personal opinion, rebellion in the worst kind of way. To devalue life so easily is atrocious. The CDC reported that in the United States, there were over 620,000 abortions in 2020. That is disgusting. Biblical view, 1 John 5.21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Stay away from idols, the Bible says. Idols are objects of worship which consume your thoughts, words, your time, your energy, or, or your money. Anything other than God. Worldview. Let me give you some statistics. The average American watches about 141 hours of television per month. According to my research, there's not one language on the planet that does not contain some type of swear word or filthy language. One poll conducted found that the average person wastes 26 days per year on useless activities. And the number one desire of most people in general is making money. Because according to the world, it will allow you to live a better life by giving you more options and more power. And here's the last fun fact. One study found that 53% of men and 47% of women never read their Bibles. And these are people that own a Bible. The bottom line here is this, and I quote, Sin is the fundamental unbelief distrust and rejection of God and human displacement of God as the center of reality. The created have shoved God to the side and said, you don't know what's good for me. We know how we feel better than you. Notice Mark 7, 20 through 23. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. 
Sin is evil, and evil seeks rebellion against God. Why is this so? Because God is good. He is the opposite of evil. He is the total sum of goodness. And just to be clear, as mentioned before, we are all guilty of evil rebellion. A person might ask, are there different types of sin? Which is a a, a really good question. And so let's look at some of the types of sin. First, let's look at original sin. Original sin is the teaching or doctrine that basically states all people are sinners by nature. All people are sinners by nature and have a bent towards sinning because of the sin committed by Adam in the garden. Essentially, before Adam sinned, there was no sin in the world. There was no sin in man's heart. Once that sin or rebellion was introduced, it infected every single person after Adam, including us today. We know this to be true because God brought a flood to the world. Notice Genesis 7, 4. For after seven more days, I, God, will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. Then notice Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. One source says this about Adam's sin. Since that time, when Adam sinned, sin has been passed on through all generations of mankind, and we, Adam's descendants, have inherited sin from him. Original sin or inherited sin is the sin nature we all possess from Adam and with it the inheritance of death. Second type, personal sin. Personal sin is the type of sin committed by people every day. The type of sin committed by people every day because of original sin ranging from white lies to murder. This is the act of rebellion against God in our daily lives. Obviously, this type of sin doesn't need a lot of introduction or breakdown because by now we should all understand that anytime we rebel against God, we are sinning. And we do this in four basic ways. Four basic ways. We sin when we do the things that God says not to do. But I do what I want to do. That's the answer most of us have. We sin when we do not do what God says to do. But I do what I want. That's what the world says. We sin when we say things that we should not say. But I do what I want. That's the world way. And we sin when we think things that we should not think. But I want to do what I want. That's the world way. Third is imputed sin. Imputed sin. One source said this about imputed sin, used in both financial and legal settings. The Greek word translated impute means to take something that belongs to someone and credit it to another's account. This happened after Moses gave the law to man. And when a person violated the law, it was accounted against them. Notice Romans 5.13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And then fourth, the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin. The unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
Mark 3, 28 and 29. Assuredly, I, Jesus, say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. John MacArthur said, whenever someone deliberately and disrespectfully slanders the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit in pointing to the lordship and redemption of Jesus Christ, he completely negates and forfeits any possibility of present or future forgiveness of sins because he has woefully rejected the only basis of God's salvation. What are the consequences of sin? Essentially, continued rebellion against God means no forgiveness of sin. And so what does no forgiveness of sin mean? Remember I said we inherited our sinful nature from Adam and with it inherited death, which is the ultimate consequence of sin. Notice the first part of Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. We all know what a wage is, right? Something we earn, like a paycheck. In this case, we input sin and the output is death. Well, what is death? The Greek word used in Romans 6.23 is thanatos. Used something like 116 times in the New Testament. And it primarily means a physical death. Notice Matthew 10, 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, which again is the consequence of sin. But it can also be used to mean spiritual death or damnation. Notice James 5, 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. And cover a multitude of sins. Notice James says, save a soul from death. What does that mean exactly? One commentator said, death is a separation. Death is a separation. A physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death, which is of greater significance, is the separation of the soul from God. Remember, when Adam first sinned, he ate from the tree that he was commanded not to eat from. He did what God said not to do, because if he did, he would surely die. He did eat the fruit, but he lived on for many years. His soul was not removed from his body right away. Physical death. However, his soul was separated from God at that moment. Spiritual death. Notice Genesis 3, 8. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their relationship with God was severed. And they were spiritually dead, separated from God, or divided from God. This is what man has inherited from Adam. An unbridgeable division between us and God. A separation of man's soul from being in unity with God. Think about it this way. The condition of a person's heart right now is that he or she is separated from God. 
We call that being lost. The cause of this condition is sin. The cause of this condition is sin. Rebellion against God. Thinking that we know best and that the one who created everything does not. The effect of this condition is one, we lack an awareness of God and his objective goodness. We lack an awareness of God and his objective goodness. And two, we are spiritually dead. So what is the solution? What is the only solution to sin? The question that all believers have faced and that all non-believers should consider is this. Is there a solution to this sin problem? Is there a way to restore our broken relationship with God? First, let's look at John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Notice, without me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus Christ, there is no solution to the sin problem. But remember that we have this sin nature, this disconnect from God. So how does this even work? How do we get Jesus on our side? John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So we have to be drawn to Jesus by God the Father. Why? Because we can't really choose good for ourselves. We don't have the capacity to do this spiritually. God has to do it for us. And once this happens, once we have accepted Jesus Christ into our lives, notice Romans 8, 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Did you get that? God provided the solution to sin by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. In order to save us, sin had to be dealt with. It couldn't be dismissed. Rebellion against God can't go unpunished. And so Jesus Christ himself bore that punishment. That we might be made alive again. That we might be made spiritually not dead. Ephesians 2.5 even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. There is no other solution to the sin problem than Jesus Christ. One story I read called, God calls us to him, said this, 
when the infamous September 11th airplane barreled into the Pentagon, Officer Isaac was nearby, but outside the building. Immediately, he began helping people staggering out of the building, in some cases carrying them out. But he wanted to do more, wearing only his short-sleeved blue police uniform, no mask, no protective coat, not even a handkerchief. He ran into the inky blackness of the Pentagon. Someone yelled at, at him to stop. We got to get people out, he shouted back, suffocating on smoke. He heard the building crackling and he called out, is anybody here? Anybody here? Wayne Sinclair and five co-workers were crawling through the rubble and had lost all sense of direction. When they heard his voice, they cried out. And he responded, head toward my voice, head toward my voice. Following his voice, Sinclair and the others soon made their way out of the crumbling building. Jesus saves us in the same way. He says, head towards my voice, head towards my voice. God, through Jesus Christ, has provided us with a way to reconcile our relationship by having Jesus pay the price that we couldn't afford. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners from eternal death. He came into this world because God loves us and he wants us to be with him and not separated from him. Notice John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the key that opens the door for us to be with God forever. How do we apply any of this to our lives? If you are a Christian and you've already dealt with original sin, then it's time to start working on personal sin in your life. It's time to start working on that personal sin. Understand that we can't avoid sin, but we can work on it. We can get stronger at disliking the things that God dislikes. Remember, we were born into a sinful family, the family of Adam, as every person on the planet was. And therefore, we have a sin nature and a desire to sin, which we can't, af we can't avoid. We can't avoid that. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, we can identify what God says is right and what God says is wrong and we can start to apply those truths to our life. We can apply those truths to our life. James 1.19, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Think about that for a minute. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. John MacArthur said it perfectly. Believers are to respond positively to scripture and eagerly pursue every opportunity to know God's word and be better. Notice quick to hear. Meditate on God's word as often as possible. Meditate on his word as often as possible. As sinners, our hearts are filled with evil. Notice Matthew 12, 34. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And therefore, we should discipline ourselves to speak less. 
If you think I'm wrong, just ask any married couple what stirs up most fights, and likely they will tell you it was something that was said. Our mouths have the tendency to spew out evil, and this happens even with the most religious of people. You can have a pastor who on Sunday morning tells you all about being humble and soft-spoken and then throws up evil all over their loved ones during the week. I am personally guilty of running my mouth when I should have kept it shut. Slow to speak. Discipline yourself to listen more and speak less. On the other side of the coin... Have you ever heard someone say things that you just can't stand? Things that seem to provoke you to anger? It happens more and more these days with the media being politically charged. I think they're doing it to cause division in the population with their lunatic advocates, uh, advocates, no, activists. I can say it, activists. Who think things like sexualizing children is some kind of a badge of honor or, or what Whatever else this fallen world seems to cook up to try to agitate Christians to anger. I've literally been a part of and watched many people get furiously angry over what some non-believer is doing. Even if it doesn't directly affect us. Don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place for righteous anger. I'm just saying that maybe... If we were slow to anger, we might find some productive way to stop the madness instead of just yelling at our television. Slow to anger. Choose love over hate. Choose love over hate. And if you're not a Christian, if you have not accepted the gift of forgiveness for your rebellion then you need to deal with that original sin first and foremost, and then circle back to the previous application regarding personal sin. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to accept God's gift of salvation and be reconciled to the God who created you, the God who loves you so much that his son, Jesus Christ, died for you on a cross. And if this is you then please see me after the service. Send me an email, call, but let's talk about that. People make mistakes all the time. Adam and Eve made a mistake. And while not all mistakes are huge, Adam and Eve's mistake was pretty huge. And each time we sin against God, it is huge and costly. One article I read called The Enormous Consequences of a Single Misplaced Dot said this, Mistakes are easily made and it is often too late to rectify the situation by the time someone notices. That was the case with Spain's supposedly state-of-the-art submarine, the S-81 Isaac Pearl. The submarine was commissioned in 2013 as one of four new submarines for the Spanish Navy. But there's just one problem with its modern design. Once it's submerged, the S-81 Isaac Pearl may never be able to resurface again. This is because a miraculously unnoticed flaw in its design means that the ship is around 75 to 100 tons overweight, which means Spain essentially invested in a submarine which can only move in one direction, down. The mistake is said to be the result of a pesky decimal point placed in the wrong place during calculations. 
And it's a single dot, which can cost an extra $9.7 million per meter of the hole, which has to be extended to regain its balance. Considering $680 million has already been invested in this single ship as a part of a total of $3 billion for all four subs, it's hardly a mistake which can be brushed under the rug. It took an additional seven years to repair, and the submarine finally joined the Spanish fleet in May 2021. While it's clear to see the mistakes of the past, the infamous should've, could've, would've, the one mistake that should stand out above the rest is our rebellion against God, the God who created us, a God who loves us, and a God who forgives us. Let's pray. Can my uh, communion service come up front? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all your goodness. You are an amazing God, Lord. You have done so much for us. It is hard to believe, Lord. The sacrifice made by your son on the cross is indescribable. Is, is indescribable. And we're just so grateful, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to rectify the wrongs of the past. You have given us the opportunity to regain eternal life with you in heaven. It's my prayer today, Lord, that we would all remember the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. It's, it's my hope and prayer that we would reflect on that for the remainder of this week. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.